I just got a both a sad and an exciting text message. Okay. From Admin Riley. Oh. Mm-hmm. And it's, she says, uh, bad timing. And I was like, what? What do you mean, bad timing? And then what apparently arrived on producer Nick's doorstep is from Word on Fire. You see, I'm waiting. I still haven't got anything either. So, uh, as people know, I mean, we're... <laughs> We're kind of a big deal, you know, uh, with our podcasts and we influence people. And sometimes, sometimes that's annoying. Sometimes it's kind of neat. Uh, and this time it's kind of neat because the wonderful people from Word on Fire, they've made this this uh, new uh, Bible. It's not like a new Bible. It's it's still the Word of God. It's not like a different <laughs> Bible. It's still the Holy Scriptures. It's still the Scriptures, right? Uh, but uh, repackaged in a nice, uh, fancy way. And they asked if we would uh, talk about it. And if we talk about it, they would send us one. So yes. I can't quite talk about it yet because I don't know what it looks like. I have Which, no idea. We're recording two episodes today, too. So that means by the time, as long as it gets to Canada in time, right? Um, by the time we are recording on two weeks from now. Yes. So three episodes, two episodes from now, um, you'll hear all about it. And so, but the the reviews from Admin Riley are in. I oh. said, uh, check it out. Does it look cool? And she s- responded in all capital letters, it's so beautiful and leather, which is great. So <laughs> I don't know what kind of bad you. She, she likes leather, right? Like she's Probably, like, a, yeah. like, like she has like a leather jacket. I don't know. I've seen pictures of her in like a black she's leather jacket. She's very classy and, like and cool. Yeah, she knows yeah, exactly. what is classy and cool. Exactly. Uh, and this will be nice because uh, the one Bible I use for devotional reading is actually my first communion Bible. I still have it. And I, oh, wow. I use that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see uh, all the good winter fire commentary, uh, lettering and packaging. So more on that later. But that's kind of cool. That's and, really cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. And the other cool thing that has happened is uh, I had mass with real people the other day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I've had mass with real people. Uh, there's a nice lady who does the recording uh, for our live stream. And I've had, you know, other people there. But we had our first outdoor masses. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the way we, there's a uh, an abandoned Sears building, and it's got a little bit of an overhang, and uh, the landlord is a parishioner, and so we got all the legal agreements and stuff, and it was kind of it was kind of drive up mass, and it worked pretty well. It mm-hmm. worked okay, you know. Yeah. Mass happened, people received the Eucharist. It was nice to see people again. Uh, everyone was very cooperative, and it kind of worked. Nice. Now we'll see what happens. Uh, next weekend, because our next weekend, uh, it might be raining, and so mm-hmm. stuff with like our sound system, uh, who knows, who knows? But at least the first weekend, uh, the Lord Hoops gave us pretty good say. weather. Hoops yeah, who's to say? Whom's is to say? Uh, but I'll be honest, that first mass, Harrison, gave me extreme anxiety. Uh, because, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Be, uh, one because I mean, there's a lot of unknowns, but two because it was so windy. It was so windy out. We had like little um, paper clips and everything for all of the the, right. the missile and everything. And I was just like so worried about our Eucharistic Lord just flying away into the wind and like going in some like gross asphalt puddle. But praise God that didn't happen. Question. Yes. Did you get people to honk their horns to replace the bells for the epiclesis and the elevations? No. No, but there was honking of the horns. Um, part of uh, we had a few few like announcements kind of during the homily. Uh, one, our permanent deacon 
is going. Oh no, sorry, our transitional deacon is transitioning to the priesthood. He'll be ordained awesome. the twenty seventh, and then one of uh, the sons of our parish, he'll be entering seminary in the fall. Great. And we also got a new seminarian for a pastoral year, so people cool. were very excited about that, and they honked their horns, which. Um, which I understand, so, now, but if I was the celebrant, I would not tolerate it. Since you're the senior associate of the parish now. Yes. Does this mean you get to tell the seminary what to do all year? Uh, yeah, more or less. That's uh, great. How, yeah. how often are you going to get him to wash your car? Uh, I really don't care so much about that. And his, his talents will be wasted on washing my car. What he's good at is that he actually can cook. Okay. Like but I thought you liked cooking. I thought you're getting into the cooking no, no, thing. No, 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 no. There's there's marinating something and baking it, and then there's like creating a meal. Like okay. he made this beautiful, delicious glazed salmon the other day. Oh mm-hmm. my goodness! Ah, game changer. I've been. Nice. I can't stop thinking about it. Um. So like nice. we we're gonna you know, um, figure out his talents, his gifts, and then tell him what to do. So that's the plan. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. We we opened up this weekend as well. I won't spend too much. It, it was, I'll be honest, if I can be completely honest, it was actually kind of weird. Yeah, sure. It, it doesn't, it didn't feel right still. Um, you know, everyone having to be separated in the pews, only 50 people max in the church. One of the masses we don't have music for yet. Um, and we're giving out communion at the end of mass just because uh, the way our building works, it was to ensure that people didn't socialize afterwards. All right. We felt this was the best way to ensure crowd flow. They come up, receive the Eucharist, and then leave. Um, yeah. And we were given permission to do that for this time, For this time, right? So um, normally I wouldn't do this. I like, yeah. I like the, it, it, so, but it, it ruins the flow of the liturgy a bit. Um, it was just, it was weird. It's not, it's not there. And it, it showed me like how much, all the, like, all those those extra things that we can often complain about in churches are mm-hmm. actually just super important. And and even like the littlest thing, like because I give the Eucharist at the end and then they leave right away, I don't get a chance to greet them at the end of Mass. Yeah. And it's just weird. I'm like, it's amazing how you don't really think you're going to miss that thing until you're not doing it. So, um, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, it is weird. It is a little different, but uh, we have to keep just moving forward and doing yep. our best and that's what we're gonna do today on exactly. clerically speaking hello i'm father anthony i'm father harrison this is gonna be a riley heavy banter okay i'm, I'm just gonna sing her praises a little okay go for it yeah because yeah we should call it okay she doesn't actually edit the episode but we know she's she's but producers don't just edit they do all sorts of things right so uh-huh. she she's a producer of the show um uh, she was texting me yesterday about uh, something we mentioned in the Summa yesterday, uh, last week, and she sent me an article. And I said, "Oh yeah, I read that," and and um, and we started going, we started talking and stuff like that. And I was just sharing how some stuff about book writing and everything. And after after we finished talking, um, I actually texted her afterwards because I said the, the conversation was so nice and pleasant and so encouraging. Mm-hmm. And and, and she even over text, she, she's got a good listening ear. It's really interesting <laughs> um she you know I, I text her later i said thanks to you i i got it's i, I kind of that conversation kind of got me out of my funk so i could get some writing done and i finished most of a chapter last night so uh so i was just grateful for that and she also like hunted down a ton of tweets for us today and for the next episode for the summa so this is just my way of saying thank you producer riley for all you do and who you are because you're awesome 
So are we going to settle on that? Because I have had no idea what to call Riley. Like, producer Nick, it just, it works. It kind of, you know, flows. It's easy to say. Producer Riley is a little clunkier, but is that what we're going to go with? What about Empress? Uh, see, no, I'm not going to, because you don't have to deal with her all the time. I have to deal with her much more often than you do. And She's going to take that title now that I've mentioned it. I don't know. I don't know if that's, like, really her style. Um, I don't know if they have empresses in Indiana Sup- or wherever she's Supreme from. Supreme ruler? No, see, uh, I, you know what? Now that we, we've, we've workshopped it, I'm okay with producer Riley. Okay. Let's just go with that. That'll Sounds be official. Good. Producer Nick and producer Riley uh, making the podcast happen. That's right. Uh, well, uh, the best part or the worst part, depending on your opinion of the podcast, is what we're about to do next. The Suma Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica Summa Tweetologica Summa Tweetologica Summa Tweetologica We talk about The Summa Theologica was St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology. The Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. And I'm going to start with what may begin the most heated conversation that we've ever had on the Summa. Once I find the tweet. Oh, I know exactly when you're going for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is from Ann M. Carpenter at Catholic Kung Fu. And this, and she tweets, "No one will ever defeat the cardigan. No one will ever defeat the cardigan game of nuns. I'm just saying, your cardigans will not be better." She's right. Hold on a second. No. Cool, cool your jets. Hold your horses. Simmer down. I am willing, and enthusiastic. Not just like begrudgingly, but willing to, to declare nuns the best at many things. They're living out of the evangelical councils. Uh, they're, you know, witness to Christ. They're just in general holiness. I'm like, yes, nuns, absolutely. I'm even willing to say that the cardigan game overall of nuns is better than anyone else overall. That being said, my cardigan game can at least equal them, if not better them, because I'm allowed to buy things and they're not. If anything, my cardigan my cardigan game is better because I can just buy all kinds of cardigans. And have you seen my cardigans? I have all kinds. I have brown ones, black ones, blue ones, green ones. I have thin ones. I have thickly woven ones. Nobody can top my cardigan game when it comes to winter. And I'm just going to disagree. Like, I said, overall, they're better than most. Uh, but I, and I am the outlier. But at the very, very least... I'm in the competition for sure. In the competition, but you're not the best. I don't know. I uh... I, I I dare you. Mm-hmm. I dare you to take this up with a nun. I'm willing to. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how they're we... going to dis- they're just going to give you one look. Yeah. And you're just going to take off your cardigan and you're just going to hand it to them, weeping. <laughs> I'll have to hand over all my cardigans in because, tribute. <laughs> like I, I've hung out with enough sisters to know that 
this is this is how they roll. Yeah, see, this is how they roll. It's like it's like the cardigan. The cardigan is what we do not see in Mary's iconography, but we know that she wore day to day. Uh, first of all, if anyone writes icons, make that a part of your prayer and uh, write an icon with Mary wearing a cardigan. Uh, but here's the thing: like, I'm not saying like like a a a sister or a nun in a cardigan is obviously going to be more beautiful and radiant than me. That I mean, that's a given as well. But if you can go in just pure technical cardigan game, I'm gonna win. No, you're not. If you if you want, yeah, absolutely, you- absolutely. You but see, these, your your pride in this already yeah. proves you lose. Yeah, yeah. Pride is winning is about pride. I'm not hey, saying I'm not saying this is gonna get me to heaven. I'm wait, saying in a totally Mary, worldly is, sense, is Mary a I winner? have more and better cardigans than nuns. It, yes, but is Mary a winner? She's a winner in a heavenly sense, and she was totally humble, like Lenzar. Right, right. So this so is about gonna, humility. This isn't about holiness. No, this is about this me is, having some sweet cardigans. I, you have sweet cardigans. But you, you you can't wear them as well as the nun wears them. Maybe what we need to define is what is the cardigan game. Maybe that's maybe that's. And there's, the sad is thing is, there's no. I think there's no not awkward way to 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 prove this because like I'm not going to do a fashion show with my cardigans, and neither are nuns because we're both not weird at least in that sense. So we can't do that. But I'm just saying, I'm the outlier. You put me in for like if it's a competition between priests and nuns and cardigans, I'm 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 number one for the priests. I keep backing down from my initial claim, but uh, I just think I just think uh, I've got really nice cardigans. I'm, no one's denying this. Mm. I'm not. I'm not insulting your cardigans. Also, you know, you know who got me most of those cardigans? Who? My mom. So there's 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 family pride in yeah, that. Yeah, but do you know well? who made most of the cardigans the sisters wear? Who? The sisters. Uh that's true too. Uh. Okay, I, I, I think that's all I can say about this. All right. Uh, let us go with um, f- from at Shannon underscore last. And she says, I've been thinking all day about something Father Paul Scalia said to my Leonine cohort last year. To be Catholic is to be a political orphan. And she's right. Actually, in fact, uh, I saw someone else on, on Twitter the other day or today, actually, um, uh, a Protestant I know quite where I interact with a lot on Twitter. Um, Eric Erickson was saying the same thing about how if we're going to be a person of faith, we essentially need to allow our theology to challenge our politics. And they're, they're both right. Because, yes, you're going to be a political orphan. And if you think that the church is according to one political system, Buddy, I got news for you. <laughs> like, so for example, Pope Benedict has been known to say that the democratic socialism of the early 20th century that was kind of experimented with in some Western countries is a great expression of Catholic social doctrine. Mm. Tell that to Trenhorn. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. Um, you know, so... And not just this, political forms themselves have shifted through the ages, right? Mm-hmm. We've gone from the the Roman system to various medieval systems uh, with kings and queens to democratic polity. These fluctuate and change over time. 
but the faith remains the same. And I, I just, it's important to remember this because we, we are in a very politically charged time. And at the same time, the, and, and, and the, the reason theology has to purify politics is because politics is, is part of the fallenness of the world. And so it needs grace to prophesy to it mm-hmm. and to witness to it. And that's the whole role and principle of theology is to inform the fallen things of this world and to say, hey, uh, check yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important because Catholics should be political, but they should first and foremost be Catholics. And I've mentioned this before. I'm just going to say it again. Very often in America, our first love, our first passion was politics. That's what informed our like our strongest feelings at the very beginning. And then Catholicism comes second, and you see it over and over and over again. Yep. And if you were like wholly enthusiastic for uh, any of the politicians right now, if there's any kind of like devotion you have to them, you you've got some disorder in your heart. You've got to be very careful about this and realize that uh, Catholic social teaching, uh, even the Catholic idea of a well-formed uh, society, uh, no political party, no major political party encompasses that right now so i get it's really cringy when you see uh catholics going like wholesale and unapologetically and without any reservations for any one candidate or one party it's Mm -hmm. it's it it shows that you have a misformed idea of what the what the faith is and what catholic uh teaching is so at the very least settle down and be more discerning and be more humble because here's the thing we like to think our politics are all about our intellect because of the issues and I have the best talking points or whatever. But so often, honestly, it's not. It's it's based on gut feeling and emotion and usually family tradition or whatever else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have to have a much more humble view of our own political views mm-hmm. and allow those to be informed by uh, our Catholicism. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, cool. That's all I had to say. I just wanted to mm-hmm. just wanted to get that off. Because I think it's just important to always repeat. Always, Absolutely. always, always. Absolutely. Um, another big... Okay, so this is this is from Catholic News Agency. And uh, I started off the podcast talking about how we are a big deal. Uh, but I'm just going to continue with saying that I'm a pretty big deal. Because okay. if you remember, two podcasts ago, I mentioned a book uh, by Father uh, Toops. Uh, Father David L. Toops. And just as the day of recording... He's named a new bishop for the Diocese of Beaumont, Texas. So I'm not saying I had a phone call with Pope Francis, but I am saying potentially he heard that podcast and was like, this this priest who wrote this book, I mean, he's got to be a good pick. So congratulations and prayers for uh, for Father uh, Monsignor Bishop David L. Bishop elect. Bishop elect. Bishop elect. Bishop elect. Right. right. Uh, but prayers for him anyway. And. Uh, Either I'm sorry or you're welcome, depending on how this goes for you. So there. So this is going to get a little um, inside baseball here. So you're essentially like the Vic Mattis of bishops. <clears throat> and by if this, I, I mean if... you mention a priest's name and they become a bishop, which is like dying, right? Because we all know that Vic mentions celebrities all the time on his podcast, The Subbeacon. And sure. often those people pass on quickly afterwards. They call it the Vic Mattis curse. So, so... we now have – so it's really actually – you make it happen, but really, it, I mean, whomst amongst us wants to be a bishop? Yeah, honestly. I, so in that note, like, whomst, whomst <laughs> has the worst curse? Exactly. Um, so exactly. sorry in advance to uh, Father Matt Fish, but uh, that's how it goes. 
That's good. I like that. It's like <laughs> now we're just going to start throwing out names of priests we want just to make them suffer. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So this is a debate I did not know existed. Okay. And was unaware of. This is from Matt underscore Breslin, uh, a seminarian of the Archdiocese of New York. I said it once and I'll say it again. I will die on this hill. Top sheets are evil. And I did not know that this was a debate. I've grown up with top sheets. Okay, wait. De- describe to me what a top sheet is. I'm assuming this is regarding bedding, right? Yeah, like you have your you have your sheet that goes over the mattress, right? Your your, and then you have the, you have the fitted sheet, right? That goes over the sheet. mattress, okay. and then this is a second sheet that goes under the blanket that you sleep under. Right, and then over that is usually like a comforter or something, right? Yeah, like a fluffy blanket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And who doesn't do this? This is this is my question. This is my question. This is why I'm like I'm like. I didn't know this was a thing and that some people saw sheets as evil because like the whole point of the sheet, this is the whole point. It's all about cleanliness right? and um, protecting the blanket because like, let's, let's say it's not a comfort. Let's just say it's just a regular blanket. You can't sure. exactly wash that. So it's the difficult whole, to, yeah. The sheet is there to be washed so that you can wash that without having to worry about maybe you can hang the blanket outside for a while or something like that to air it out, but you can't just throw it in the washing machine. Right, you can with a uh, duvet cover, yes, but um, you know, I was just like, no, this is the whole point. The whole point and purpose of the top sheet is cleanliness, and and there is something so comfortable about a well tucked top sheet. Oh, so no, 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 like that. Yeah, when you first get into your bed after it's been like freshly made and it's just tightly tucked and you're just like cocooned in the bed. But what about your feet? What about your feet? Like if you lay flat on the bed and if the sheet's tucked in, what really bothers me is the sheet pressing down my feet, which are sticking up. I can't stand it. Oh, you're a back sleeper. That's how I start. Okay. Like 20 minutes, I'm lying on my back and then I get tired of that. Then I roll over and then it's it's always on. I'm always on my side. Oh, Okay. So that's I not just, an issue for me. Okay, okay, that makes more sense. Okay, this all makes so much more sense to me because I had no idea what they meant by a top sheet. Like, I, 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 I thought not, they meant this is what I'm presuming. Like, this is what I'm presuming. I actually have no idea, but I'm right. I'm, but it can't I'm, be this. This is, my... this is what I thought it was, and it can't be this. It can't be like okay, you have the the fitted sheet, then you have another sheet because we're not gross, right? Then you've got the blanket or the comforter or like the the thicker blanket, and I thought the top sheet was a thin sheet on top of that. And I could not understand why that would be a thing that people would use. And I couldn't understand why that would be a thing people have a strong opinion on. But now this makes more sense. If it is as you describe, anyone who doesn't use a top sheet, you're just a dirty person. How dare you? You are gross. Grow up. Have some self-dignity well, and self-respect. Listen. What the heck? Listen. What? He's from the Archdiocese of New York. What do you expect? And, well, there you go. There you have it. <laughs> And on uh, that note, I think it's time for presbyteral <laughs> exhortations. And now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good. Quite good. Indubitably. Oh, I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn so much. It's my favorite part. It's the best part. Yes. Yes. Quite. Yes. Quite. Yeah, take that, New York. Uh, no. Oh, man. Uh, okay. All right. Let's pull up my notes. Um, 
So I want to talk today about something we, we've, we've talked about a lot, but let's just go in depth with it a little bit more today. Uh, the holy hour. Are you ready to talk about the holy hour? Let's talk about the holy hour. Yes. The holy hour. Okay. Because you've been doing it in the morning. Yes. This is why I want to start off here. So uh, the holy hour for, you know, most of my time in seminary and priesthood has been something I have struggled with. It's something that I've wanted to do, but not always been consistent. I've had good months and bad months. I've had good weeks and bad weeks. Um, You know, as a priest, you know, I would at least get some kind of holy hour in. Uh, three days out of the week, but that's still not where I wanted to be. And so I had this experience. I went to a holy hour at like uh, four o'clock and I was exhausted. I was thinking about all the stuff that had happened that day, the stuff I still had to get done, stuff I had to do tomorrow. My brain was racing. I was tired and I just kind of conked out and like slept through like 40 minutes of the holy hour. And then I just got up. I was like, ah, sorry, Lord, but that's, that's, that's what's going to happen today. And then it was just a week sauce. And so I was looking at my schedule for the next day, and I was like, hmm, if I don't wake up early and pray my holy hour at first thing, it's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen tomorrow. So this is what I'm going to do. I, I hate the mornings. I hate waking up. But we're just going to do it. And so that morning, I got up. I got out of bed right away because I, I knew I had to, just schedule-wise. And I made my latte, which you know is very important to mm-hmm. my emotional and spiritual health. Right. And I bring into the chapel because I can do that because I'm in charge of my own little chapel. And it was good. So the first like 20 minutes, I'm just like drinking my latte slowly and looking at the uh, Eucharistic Lord um, and did the normal kind of prayer thing. And I picked up, I've been reading a little bit of uh, Fulton Sheen's Life of Christ and very slowly going through that as a little bit of spiritual reading. And something struck me in that about the poverty of Christ. So the one of the first things I had to do that morning was uh, offer a mass for those who have passed away in the last week because it's been difficult to have funeral masses so we kind of do a memorial mass during the week and that was maybe the best mass I've prayed and the best mass mass I've preached in a really long time mm-hmm. it was just good I was just you know this isn't like very holy language but I was in the zone of the Harrison and immediately I knew the Lord was telling me this is what you got to do now you mm-hmm. got to be the morning holy hour guy. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm going to try to do. Uh, but I figured, like, since I'm working on this and working through it, let's talk a little bit about yeah. holy hour. Awesome. Harrison, what even is a holy hour? It's um, it's an hour that's holy. <laughs> Very good. Excellent. Yeah, this is the content people I mean, download our thing I mean, for. like, Fulton Sheen talks a little bit about this in um, A Priest is Not His Own. Mm-hmm. Right where he talks about how the whole, it's about entering into the hour of Christ. Right, my hour has not yet come, and mm-hmm. so um, the hour of Jesus is the hour of his entering into his crucifixion. And so it's kind of spending that hour and giving it over to Jesus and saying like, like give like Jesus when Jesus is talking about his hour, he's not talking about like sixty minutes. He's talking about a particular time. But Fulton Sheen says we should actually give that hour a day so that our whole life is kind of oriented toward and inserted into this particular time of Jesus and his mission. That's so beautiful because I haven't even given you my notes. And sure enough, that's the first thing I talk about. Because yes. I've also been reading through A Priest Is Not His Own. Uh, which is a, it's I'm a sorry great... for usurping your point. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's excellent. Because excellent. Um, I'm going to riff on that just a little bit. Uh, yeah. So... The Priest is Not His Own. Um, it's a great book for seminarians, but it's 
for me, been an even better book as a priest because it's just a little more real for me right now because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm a priest. Uh, but it's one of these books where I've never read it from cover to cover, but I think I've read every chapter several times, like in pieces. Like I flipped around right. through it. Anyway, but yeah, he talks about that. So, I, I mean, the one reason I've heard that the Holy Hour is an hour is from uh, when Jesus is in the garden, keep watch with me for an hour, right? So it comes a little bit from that tradition. But yeah, he talks about this hour of sanctification, and Christ is sanctified as he offers himself up on the cross. Now, it's not like Jesus wasn't holy and then he becomes holy. But in a certain sense, by offering himself on the cross, he brings all of humanity uh, into God through that sacrifice. So, uh, And so our, in the sense of Christ's hour, is it's his time. But for us, practically, in a holy hour, it's usually about an hour. And it's the time where we are brought up into God. So as I use the term holy hour, I want to do it in two ways. One, as like your time of prayer. So it might be a half hour. It might be, I'm going to push for at least a half hour. Um, but also talk about just the, the goodness of, if you can, making an entire holy hour. Okay. So you and I have been thinking a lot about everything that's been going on with, uh, in particular, the coronavirus and not being able to have masks, right? Mm-hmm. And in particular, uh, people's reactions to not having masks. Right. And we, we, we've talked about this before, but there was a certain response that really bothered me. Uh, there were responses that didn't bother me. Like, you're sad you can't go to mass. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, absolutely. But among some people, and I'm not saying they're bad people for this. That's not. I'm not condemning these people. But I think for many people, not having public mass, it threw them into a panic. Because I think whether or not they realized it, they were faced with the fact that their only experience of God is every Sunday. Right. And once that was removed from them, they were thrown into chaos and emptiness because all of a sudden... God is not in their life. And so the idea, and you hear this all the time, like, I can't be in the presence of God. I can't receive Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's important language with regards to the Eucharist. But if you look at that a little bit closer, like, wait, wait, what do you mean that you are away from Christ? Don't you know that you are a part of his body? Don't you know he's, he's there? Right. I think here we see just the importance of daily prayer of a daily holy hour, however you define the length of time. Right. Because I think we were faced with the fact that this once a week was like this show of God and not a relationship with him. It was our one experience of him, but it wasn't an entering into the cross and resurrection with him. Exactly. Yeah, it, I don't want to, this is very interesting. This is going to dovetail very nicely with our next episode. Oh, delightful. Uh, yes. Um, I think there's a lot of reasons for this. Like this is because you're right. We've been pondering this and um, the church for whatever reason in the last 80, 90 years lost its ability to hand on its memory of itself. Mm-hmm. Right. And so by this, I mean like that it, it, we perhaps there was a naive confidence in in um, 
changing some things up or a naive optimism that thinking if everyone understands what's happening in liturgy and prayer and everything, they're just going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> right. And it didn't work. Right. It didn't work. And I think we're, we're still kind of reaping all these consequences of it all. But um, at the heart of all of this, like the whole point of like when we go to the mass or when we go to adoration and everything like this, it's not to be the only place where we encounter God. Again, like we've said this before, but it's in your baptism. You are united to him. Like I was preaching about this on Trinity Sunday. Mm -hmm. uh, you're always united to him. He is never separated from you. E I mean, even mortal sin, while it does separate our connection with God, mm -hmm. absolutely, at the core of our being, like if we're speaking philosophically, we're not separated from him because he's literally upholding our being. Right. Right. Like hell is knowing God loves you and that, and you hate him essentially. Mm -hmm. He's still upholding, he's still upholding your being in that moment. So like God's never away mm -hmm. he's never far away. But like, I think what, what you're getting at here, and I think which is really important, this relationship is only possible when we have that life of prayer and especially like that, that receptive attitude, which is like saying, I want to listen. Right. But I also like, I'm willing to see things in your way, like to see things your way rather than my way. Right. But that only comes through that sustained time of prayer. And then it's like, wait, this time it's difficult. Yes. But God's here. Like mm -hmm. for me, I could say this is, I think at the heart of it, like yeah, my prayer life is what kind of made it a bearable time for me right. as an extrovert. Um, because I was able to say, wait, he's here with me. Why would I like, what's there to worry about? I've got everything I need in him. Sorry. It's yeah. just kind of random. No, 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 absolutely. No, that's great. That's great. That's good. Yeah. Um, and because I also think that there's there can almost be, and I want to, mm, uh, the point I'm trying to make is more subtle than I'm maybe expressing it. Okay. But there can be almost a kind of uh, idolatry of the mass. Yep. Uh, where you, the focus is on this either concept or idea or outward uh, appearance of the mass and not God. Like all those things are important. Like the church building is important. The liturgy is important. It, it's good, but it's not an event that's for itself. Like the focus right. is on God. Yeah. And it's so it's so easy. I'm not like condemning people who fall into this. It's so easy to fall into this. Uh, and you have to keep constant vigil and watch over your own heart. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the things that helps us do that is the holy hour. So holy hours are super important. Uh, one because it helps you become holy. Like that's kind of important, you know. Uh, the whole process of um, this earthly journey is a divinization of becoming more and more like God, of um, loving people with God's love by drawing those around you into God. That's what holiness is about. Okay. Mm -hmm. So obviously, I mean, you know, just let's start off selfishly. It's good to be holy for your own sake mm -hmm. because you're not going to want to be in heaven if you've been avoiding God all your life. No, right? you're going to get there. <laughs> no, are you going to get there, right? So it's like, hey, let's start praying and stuff. Okay, good. Um, but there's a few other reasons. It's also really important for the sake of uh, vocations. 
we really want lots of priests so that they can say mass for us and bring us the sacraments and uh, mediate the, the presence of Christ. That's not going to happen if we don't actually pray. And I don't just mean like intercessory prayer, like asking God for more priests. One, absolutely that. But a family, a church, a parish that prays, that becomes fertile ground for vocations. Because mm-hmm. the church isn't just then the parish. The church isn't just then Sunday Mass. The church is something deeper. It, it's a, it, the family is wrapped in, up into it. Our culture is wrapped up into it, all because of prayer. And then the church becomes, for the young man, something worth sacrificing for, something that he can genuinely fall in love with because he's mm-hmm. experienced it because of prayer. Um, also, and this is, this is kind of a theory I'm thinking about, it's a holy hour and people praying the holy hour is important for the sake of the priest. So in a, in a very real sense, you know, uh, the priest can help sanctify, and he should, it's part of his you know, job, the people of God, um, the, the, the laity. But also there's this other kind of upward motion that can happen mm-hmm. where uh, a holy laity can draw out holiness from a priest. The reason why priests can be mediocre is because their people let them be mediocre. They let them be. I don't. I gotta be careful how I say this, but mm-hmm. sometimes that's what the people want. Exactly because and- a holy priest will challenge and will call stuff out and will um, not let the status quo of mediocre spiritual mediocrity to stand. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, so a then a holy people, they're not going to kind of buy into the, oh, the, the right. Father Bob shtick. Yeah. They're, oh, guys, quickly, sorry, because please. I want to make sure I, I, we're not. Yeah, do you want to say I want The other half is important, though, too, right? Um, sometimes a priest wants some mediocre people because it doesn't challenge him to actually live a sacrificial mm-hmm. priesthood. Yeah. So I got to make sure that's always balanced. Out yeah, absolutely. Because I think it's just proving that these two things feed each other. Right. And I think so often uh, a lot of people's idea of like, you know, calling the, you know, making the priest accountable, they think of of writing a letter to the bishop or calling out the priest. But these things actually don't make a priest better. These things make a priest bitter and worse. Yeah. And now there may be some extreme examples where that's what you need to do. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But what really makes a priest holy is your holy hour, is you're praying for him, is you becoming more and more holy, you know, uh, where... You know, the people aren't delighted by a priest who kind of, you know, offers a 35-minute Sunday Mass. They're not going to encourage that. Mm-hmm. They're not going to condemn the priest, but there's there becomes a change in attitude mm-hmm. that I think would happen if the parish prayed. Now, I think, yeah, so this is just like one aspect that I've just been thinking about. I think in general, the priest has to teach the people how to pray and all this other good stuff. But uh, I think we sometimes forget the flip side of this, that the people can really draw holiness out from a priest as well. And especially in our time right now, that if you're going to go out in the world and love people, if you're going to go out in the world and affect change that lasts, not just purely political change, those things are important aspects of it, but in order to evangelize, in order to witness to Christ, you're not going to be able to do this if you don't pray. Right? No, I mean... I mean, I think people are starting to see a common theme of the podcast these last couple months, right? Yeah. Prayer is the most important thing we can do, people. And 
it's also the most difficult thing we can do. Mm-hmm. Because when we actually start to get down to it, we actually see how much we really don't want to do it. Right. It reveals it ourselves. Re- it reveals ourselves. It reveals our lack of love for God. Mm-hmm. And it happens with priests too. I mean, this mm-hmm. is not, it's not a bad thing that this is revealed. You see, the problem is we, we take that revelation as kind of like a judgment. And it is a judgment, but it's not a judgment unto condemnation. It's a judgment of the, it's saying this is the reality, right? That's what a judgment means. It's not a positive or negative thing. It's just saying this is the facts. And so revelation judges the heart to make the truth present. And we don't want to see that about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so we do things to make excuses. We do things to run away from things. If 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 someone does something we don't like, we just instead of instead of actually checking our own hearts, we just you know we walk away from a ministry or whatever. It's just like whatever it is, right? It, it we don't want to actually deal with our heart mm-hmm. because that's what sin. That's the fundamental posture <laughs> of sin is yeah. to not want to actually see your heart. But God actually cares about your heart and wants it. And he actually sees it. And in prayer, that's where it's seen. And so when it's seen, um, something that is, or something looked at that no one's ever seen before. And it, and it guess what? It's kind of dirty and mangled and uh, <laughs> it's not very pretty. So I get why mm-hmm. we run away. But it's like, but that's the cross drawing mm-hmm. us to redemption. And God wants to turn that heart of stone into a heart of flesh. This mm-hmm. is the whole point. So this is why prayer is so important because it actually changes our hearts. And when it changes our hearts, it changes the dynamics of a parish, the dynamics of a family, et cetera. Like I, I, I know one family in my parish, um, um, they're just telling me that, you know, their, their kids can't wait to come back to mass. And it's been three months, right? And I'm like, yeah. that comes because they've lived an attitude of prayer as a family so that it's something desired by the parents it becomes something desired by the kids um and and if we want people to come to our parishes like prayer is what builds up our desire for god and then it's shown in us and then people see that like whoa what is that mm-hmm. you're live. you're actually living <laughs> i want what you have right so this is why prayer it's it, it is the most important thing we can do folks good yes excellent so let's get into the practicals, okay? Okay, good. And so the first thing is, fathers, do you really mean a whole hour? And usually one objection will come from those with families, yeah. right? And I'm not going to pretend that I know what it's like to to run a family, to be a parent in, in that sense. But this is something I felt more and more called to push back. And I think in particular was hu- with husband and wife, it is your duty to each other to defend each other's time of private prayer. So no, maybe you can't, you know, uh, you know, have an entire hour. That, you know, I, I'm willing to absolutely concede that. Yeah. But do you, as husband and wife, make a priority each other's personal prayer? Right. Are you willing to, you know, wrangle the kids, bring them into the, you know, uh, the basement or outside for a walk or whatever else? Uh, and I think because. There's so many things that we sacrifice in the family. You know, you sacrifice a lot of time and a lot of effort to bring kids to sports, to this, to that. You sacrifice a lot to uh, like really essential things, like mm-hmm. figuring out what the heck is going to be for dinner and all that stuff. Like, we need to make prayer that essential for the family as well. Yeah. Uh, so 
whatever how, it's going to be. How long would you say minimum? Man, okay, I'm, this I'm, is... I actually have a I have a minimum, but I'm going to put you on the spot first. Okay. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. I I want at least with with more complicated uh, living situations, I want to push a little bit because so often it's like, oh, we'll just pray for 15, 15 minutes a day. And part of me is like, how do you even pray for 15 minutes? Like, how do you enter into comp- contemplation in 15 minutes? Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't even pray in my holy hour for the first 20 minutes. Right. So uh, just say it. I just would say, it. okay. I, I mean, I really think 45 minutes. 45, <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, well, you went, you but went like harder than minimum, I minimum half hour. Yeah. I always say half hour at the very yep. least. Now, at the same time, I always say, I'm sure we've said it on here before. If you're not doing that yet, you might not be able to start with that right away. Sure. You got to build. So build up to it, right? But this is your goal. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I agree. I think at least half an hour. So take those general principles. But like, you know, we so lean on the side of it's too difficult. I'm going to do my 10 minutes of prayer a day or whatever. Like. Let's let's challenge ourselves a little bit, and, and some of that will be entering the cross, and that's something you can offer God in your prayer is this kind of sacrifice. Now, for if you're retired, it's going to be a lot easier to do a holy hour. If you are a single person, it's going to be a lot easy to do a holy hour, right? Okay, so that's kind of it's when we talked with um, oh, who's the priest we talked to at um, Father Michael Laughlin. Thank you. Uh, talked about this idea in the East of like, okay, the the monks are the goal, right? And if we don't reach the goal, that's okay. But that's what we're working towards. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think the holy hour is. It, you're not a bad person if you don't pray a holy hour, but you need to have this daily time in prayer. Okay, so let's get real practical now. Harrison, not everyone has a chapel in their home like I do. And right. most certainly most people don't have our Eucharistic Lord. Right. Like or churches that are open enough for personal prayer. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So then what do they do then? You make a space at home. Mm-hmm. You know, and like some people will put up, they'll, like I know a lot of people make like little um, altars at home. That's kind of like, this is the place in the home that we use for prayer. So it, I think, actually, I think it's, we're embodied beings. And so setting up a space, a time, and material to pray with mm-hmm. is absolutely essential to make it happen. Uh, and because the familiarity of that place becomes now becomes sacrosanct to become something that you, you can't do without. Yeah. And also, I also think there's something beneficial to trying to build up prayer in your home specifically mm-hmm. because your kids are going to see you doing it or they're going to know that you at least maybe they're not up yet or they're asleep, but they know mom and dad pray there. Mm. Right. Or maybe cause you know, they're gonna wake up at 10 o'clock at night and they're going to see you praying and they're going to be like, that's going to set an impression on them, right? But it also, like, there's something about having a habitual place that just makes it, 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 it quote-unquote, adds to the holiness of it. Sure, yeah. yeah. No, that's all part of it. And I think one practical thing, and this is something that helped me uh, when I was a, during the summer as a seminarian, uh, invest in a real icon. Mm-hmm. Icons are not just uh, holy images, or they're not just holy pictures, if you will. Yeah, they're not paintings. They're not paintings. Uh, you don't paint an icon. You write an icon is the technical terminology. And the idea is that the person who who writes the icon is doing so kind of within... It, it's coming out of their own prayer. It's a very 
mystical sort of tradition. And the idea is that these icons then um, become kind of like windows into heaven. Uh, so invest in an icon that someone has like prayed through and written that you can get blessed by a priest and use that. Because uh, we do need a certain, and this is, you know, talking about liturgical things, we need a direction to focus our prayer. We need exactly. somewhere to look somewhere to look towards. And having an icon, uh, and I have one of uh, the Madonna and Child, and it's just, uh, it's really easy to for mm-hmm. me to pray with that um, yeah. when, I, when I don't have the opportunity to do with other uh, images. So um, also, I think it's important to have a place to kneel if you can physically kneel. So also get like a little pray do. Those are those little kind of like uh, Sorry, desk you, kind of say, things. Can you say that again? A pray do. A pray do. Pray do. Pray do. Pray do. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, no, <laughs> I say a French word. I'm just gonna totally ham it up. The pray do. So those little desk type things. It's yeah. a kneeler, and it's maybe got like a little place for a, a Bible or a breviary. Uh, because while I don't think you need to kneel, and I don't think most people can kneel the entire holy hour, I think some time should be spent kneeling. Not right. all the time. Like, but I think a cert, just like you start yeah. off by kneeling and by kneeling, even if it's just for a few moments. R- Ratzinger has some really good stuff in spiritual liturgy on the importance of posture. Right? It's about, mm-hmm. again, we're embodied beings. If you're sitting there slouched the entire time of prayer, your body communicates something about your attitude to God. Right. And it also like changes your attitude. Yeah, you feel different when you're sitting or when you're kneeling. Yeah. Now, like I said, this is going to lead into the, to my my first big rule of prayer. So while I do think you know the, a certain amount of time needs to be spent kneeling, even if it's just a few moments at the beginning, a few moments at the end, uh, I think this is really important for people to understand for their holy hour. The first rule that I have is there there are no rules. There are no rules. There's no way you have to pray. There's really no, like I said, except for that caveat of taking a moment to kneel, uh, sitting down uh, or whatever else mm-hmm. is fine. Uh, there's no way that you absolutely have to pray. Now, I say that because uh, a lot of times people feel like prayer needs to take a certain structure. So if I uh, pray and uh, daily examine, my examine needs to be five minutes of reflection, five minutes of Thanksgiving, five minutes of... Blah, 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 but what if the spirit moves you to just spend 20 minutes in Thanksgiving? Are you going to deny that movement of the spirit? No, there are no rules. This is about a relationship and God will be guiding that prayer. Because we don't want prayer to become idolatry. We right. don't want prayer to be for its own sake. Like I, I touched all the beads and said all the words, prayer complete. Now, we all know there are times in our life when that's literally all we can do in right. these times of desolation and darkness. That's yeah. not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a kind of prayer that's like, that is a just mechanical checking of the box. And we don't want it to be that. We want it to be more fluid, more alive, more free. Like, prayer is not your work. It is not your burden. It is communing with God. Mm-hmm. Okay. The second rule is you may need to, you may need to start with some rules. <laughs> so especially if you're beginning, it's, it's just you know, like, like almost like Fight Club. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, uh, but actually, in this case, you do want to talk. The first rule about prayer is no, you don't want to talk. Forget all that. I had an idea and it went away. Um, be comfortable with with forming some rules yeah. because 
that's how we learn how to start. Maybe you start with praying a morning prayer, or you want to do a rosary at the beginning of your prayer, or you want to do a chaplet. Give yourself a kind of structure, because when in doubt, we can fall back on that structure. When we don't feel our hearts being moved in one direction, we're not just sitting there floundering about. And also, it will teach you how to pray. Prayers of the church will teach you how to pray. So if you're just starting off, first rule, there are no rules. Second rule, you might need to start with some rules. What yeah. do you think? Oh, no, totally. I think um, if you look at the lives of the saints, actually, I think this will be a bit from a tweet that I'm going to mention at the next podcast, but um, rules of life is of absolute essentialness because it's about putting the body, if you will, the, the fallenness of our bodies under the reign of the spirit. And so mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's disciplining them to do the right thing and to, to quell the passions that, that move us away from God. And so a rule of life helps, helps us to do that essentially. Yeah. Um, next kind of practical thing is no technology. If you, uh, want to pray the liturgy, of the hours, don't pray it on your phone. Yeah. Um, if you need to keep time buy a swatch, <laughs> also, I actually have a. Someone gave this to me a a um, an hourglass. I actually have in my holy hour. Nice uh, in my chapel. So I just like flip that thing, and nice. the sand goes, and there's no need to have a phone yeah. there. Okay, uh, because I mean, we need to enter into silence. Now, let's say you have kind of a noisy household. If you want like a fan or something with white noise, uh, as long as you, as long as whatever activates it isn't within reach. If it's not a part of your phone or something like that, something mm -hmm. like a white noise to cover up the chaos of your house. Yeah, sure, fine. But now is the time to enter into silence, into a uh, state of, of listening, mm -hmm. um, to get away from distractions. And so just no technology and, and no music, I would say, as well. Um, yeah. Unless the music is literally coming from you, unless you're the one singing, uh, I think there needs to be... Because there is time where like you can pick up an instrument and praise God and all that stuff. But And that's that can be very important, especially to certain people's, uh, you know, what they're drawn to spiritually. Uh, but every Christian needs to enter into silence. Mm -hmm. So no, 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 no phones. Kay. And like every time I try to bend this rule, it ruins my holy hour. Yep. Every time it's like, ah, oh, well, you know, I don't feel like flipping through pages today and I can hold my coffee with one hand and my phone with my breviary on, on the other hand. It always ruins the prayer. Yep. So I've tried. I've tried to bend this rule. It doesn't work. Yep. It's going to mess up your holy hour. Yeah. Uh, and the f next big thing is just... Um, Man, you gotta be consistent. Uh, and Fulton Sheen has this has this uh, thing about talking about a priest's holy hour. He says, how often should the holy hour be? Once a week? No, it's way too hard. If it's once a week, it's a break from your routine. It's an intrusion. If it's every day, that becomes part of your life. That builds up a habit. That makes it a part of the rhythm of your life. And it actually becomes easier. So I know for me, I have to be a morning holy hour guy. That's just what's gonna happen. And to really fight for that consistency. Yeah. And, and yeah, that same time every day is just, well, it, I mean, okay. Daily, doing it daily and for the same amount of time is more important than doing it at the same time. But if you can't, like, sure. I'll give you an example here. Our, our mass schedules are all over the place and I'm trying to have holy hour. I'm trying to have adoration before mass every day. Mm -hmm. So like tonight, for example, I'm going to do my holy hour before mass at six. Right. right. And tomorrow I'll do it. But like, I try to do it in the mornings. I try to, yes. but like Tuesdays, it'll be a little, and I give myself, a, I give myself a little bit of a leeway on Mondays in that when I wake up, 
that's when I'll go and do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, but I mean, like, but it's but it, there is something to to the regular, just but especially the amount that is the most important thing. Like, just get, make sure I'm going to be consistent to this half hour every day. Mm-hmm. And go way back uh, near the beginning when we talked about uh, Saint Ignatius's uh, rules of discernment of why keeping to that time period is so important. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, but you pointed out that, like, so I think you should fight for a consistent time. But what's maybe even more important is that kind of scheduling of it. Because if you have a vague intention to pray a holy hour, once again, speaking from experience, if you have a vague intention to pray a holy hour, it's so easy to let that slip away. Because then the enemy has all day to convince you to put off the holy hour for lots of good reasons. Mm-hmm. So make sure that you schedule it. I think in general, it's good to try to stick to the same time. But that's not always going to be possible. But like just that consistency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that consistency too kind of let's I mean, just just take a moment. Um, not every holy hour is gonna be full of consolation yep. and, and holy butterflies and, and angels singing to you and you getting deep spiritual insights. Yeah. Um There are times where it's like I'm sitting there in my holy hour and my leg is shaking and I'm like, Is it up yet? Is the time up yep. yet? Like I'm just my, looking at the sand in my hourglass yeah. go by. <laughs> yeah. And that but that is part of God's patient purification. Mm-hmm. Right. And do what there probably will be times where you'll be like, do what I'm done and you're gonna leave early. Don't beat yourself up. Recognize what happened, expect your heart. Like these are just don't beat yourself up about the failures. Use them as lessons to learn. Yeah, I think this is really important because I don't want to make a holy hour a pass-fail thing. Exactly. Because so much in our life is either a pass, a fail, is a test in a in a malicious sense of the word, is um, success or failure, is productivity, and your holy hour should be a time of freedom. And we all know, we all have those experiences where maybe we decided to go to a party or to an event and we went into it with a sour mood and afterwards we regretted it. Or there were moments where we had time to spend time with our family, but we chose not to. We chose to be selfish. And afterwards, we regretted it. Those mistakes in the holy hour or leaving it early, it should be more like that. Not like a a, a, a punishment pass fail, but like, you know what? I do love God. And I want to spend more time with him. Mm-hmm. And even mm-hmm. if it's dry, I want to go back to that. Mm-hmm. That that kind of change in attitude is so important. This mm-hmm. should, Your time of prayer is a time where you are free. You are free to be you. You are free to be with the God who loves you. And so that more and more needs to be the motivation. Yeah. You know? Do you have stuff about what to do in your holy hour for prayer? I want to keep that a little bit open. I'm going to mention just uh, reading and journaling yeah. real quick. Um, because you can find in other books and other things, and we've even mentioned it, like, you know, there's time for intercession. There's time for... Um, uh, meditation on uh, a, a mystery or stuff like that. You know, I want to keep that open. Um, but I do want to mention um, as we are getting close to the end here. Yeah. Uh, two quick things then, just to wrap up. Uh, reading and journaling. Or you want you really want to say something, don't you? No, no, go ahead. I'm, I'm just texting back Sister Teresa about something. Okay, cool. <laughs> so reading and journaling. If you're going to read in your holy hour, make sure you d- you're not trying to get through a book. Um, the reading is kind of just like fuel for your prayer. Uh, you should read a little bit, and then once something strikes you or confuses you, you want to talk to the Lord about it, you want to ask the Lord about it, feel free to put down the book. Don't be a completionist in your spiritual reading. 
and also keep it simple because you can easily hop from book to book to book to book and spend the whole hour not praying. And then yeah. if you're going to journal, I would suggest uh, if you journal, make sure you're writing to Christ, like you're having a conversation. Sometimes our brains need that, but don't make it just a reflection on the day. Make sure you're engaging with the God who you're praying to. Yeah. Um, uh, I'll just, uh, like, again, remember we are embodied creatures. And so um, hmm. the time of prayer is not just for us to kind of show up and kind of stare silently into the distance and expect, like, it's not about like entering into kind of like a Buddhist nothingness or anything like this. Um, no, uh, prayer has content. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it has and, images, yeah. it has words and God ha- and God and, and, pr- and part of prayer. If it's, if Christian prayer is a conversation, which means mm-hmm. God wants to actually speak to us. Yeah. And he wants us to listen and he wants us to speak back. Well, how, do, how does speech happen through words, either written or spoken or mm-hmm. heard in the spiritual senses of the heart. So this is why it's like scripture is an absolutely fantastic tool for this time. Um, the, you know, spiritual reading, though I, I'll, I'll push a little bit on the, don't just sit down and read it. Sometimes it's like, you know, it's nice. Like I, I set aside about 20 ish minutes for spiritual reading in my holy hour, because sometimes it's like, I don't know. Cause like a, I have horrible attention span. So it helps me kind of stay in the zone for the hour. And, um, and, and you could do, you could do your brief reading part of this time too, right? That's liturgical prayer. That's God speaking and you're responding. Um, but you know, there's nothing wrong with, um, reading for a set period, I think, because you don't, I mean, however, what the caveat is sometimes the Holy Spirit's going to say, I want you to hear this. And that's a good moment to shut up and stop reading and, and putting it aside. But also like, sometimes you're going to read something and nothing's going to hit you and that's okay too. Right. But often it puts you into a headspace as long as it's good spiritual reading to enter more productively on your end into the time of prayer. It puts you into the right headspace and it inspires you. Um, finally, like I, we mentioned before in our podcast, but um, you know, even or maybe spiritual reading, Bible, or lives of the saints, hearing about their lives can really inspire us and give us some content for prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I think uh, the the major thing is make sure you are free in your spiritual reading to put it down. But also, yeah, I just need a decompression period yeah. at the beginning. So maybe I'll just like do a couple hours of my bravery morning prayer and office of readings just because I need to start with something. So yeah, mm-hmm. I do agree with you. And then finally, finally, make sure you're also listening to yourself and being honest with what's going in on your heart, uh, going on in your heart. And this is the mistake I make time and time again. There will be times where like for weeks, my prayer is dry. And I finally realize like, oh, it's because I haven't been bringing the Lord this. I'm actually angry and I didn't want to talk about it or I'm sad and I didn't want to talk about it or I'm actually kind of happy but I'm afraid to enter into it. Make sure you're listening to your own heart and honestly giving that to God. There are no wrong answers, whatever is going on in your heart. If it's ugly, if it's beautiful, whatever, God wants that. So honesty in your holy hour. Yeah. Amen. Harrison, final words. I have, uh, I said this in my homily this weekend. Show up and shut up. Yeah, there you go. So thank you for listening to Clerically Speaking. (laughs) Uh, Hey, um, 
Tell you, oh, please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. And before I forget, producer Riley wants to mention this. Oh, right. Uh, Patreon now has a sales tax. So that's a thing. Thank you for everyone who, who's been donating. Because of that, we were able to uh, go to, um, uh, was it SLS? Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. Uh, upgrade um, some equipment. Uh, upgrade equipment. Uh, yeah. Uh, pay, right. I mean, pay, pay Riley Nick and Riley. To they do really do a, a lot, lot of work for us. us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for those who have been supporting us, uh, thank you so much. It makes it happen. None of the money goes to Harrison. None of the money goes to me. And we also uh, we, made a donation to the Daughters of St. Paul, I believe. Yeah. Right? Uh, With so, some of our extra money. So mm-hmm. so, uh, just, so thank you for that. Um, and there's a little information for you. Hey, uh, you can find me, but uh, don't find me in my holy hour. Leave me alone if I'm praying. <laughs> you can find me at FR Harrison. That joke did not land. <laughs> it did not. Maybe Nick can edit it to make it sound less awkward. Uh, but no, he, way, won't. he won't. It depends. Either way, you can contact podcast and receive updates at clerical pod on twitter find us on facebook or email us at clerically speaking at gmail.com peace god bless